Welcome to the Aaron Church Podcast, where our mission is bringing life to everyone, everywhere, every day. Each podcast episode features the latest talk from our church, which are released weekly. We're passionate about Jesus, love to worship together, and are committed to changing our community for the better. Connect with us at aaronchurch.com. Thank you, Becca. Morning, church. Hey, that's good. Lively this morning. It's all that dancing. Great. Well, as you know, uh, we've been doing this series, Base Camp, from the beginning of the year, all about uh, a journey of going up a mountain as a metaphor for our journey of faith. We've been talking about mountains and then more mountains and then more mountains. It's mountains all the way. So I thought I'd start this morning um, by talking about some of our British mountains. British mountains. Um, I... uh, I like going out in the countryside, so I went on TripAdvisor to find out where some good places to go out in the mountains are. So um, I thought I'd read you some reviews of places in the, in the British Isles uh, to do with mountains. These are genuine reviews. So uh, this one is of Skiddaw, the third highest peak in the Lake District, standing at 931 metres above sea level. This is, this is a genuine review. Ascending to the summit of Skiddaw is an exhausting experience, on the basis that the only means to get there is to walk. It is just too high and too steep for most people. How can the Lake District National Park people expect people to go up there? Be warned, there are no facilities at the summit. If... If you actually make it to the summit and then need the toilet, that's just too bad. I visited the summit this last weekend and was very disappointed with the experience. There was nothing to see and do there. One star. Okay. Uh, How about uh, Mount Snowdon in Wales, standing at a majestic 1,085 metres. Very popular Mount Snowdon. Found the ascent horrific. So exhausting. Rubbish views of ugly rocks and a couple of lakes. Parking facilities, so poor, I've damaged my car because I had to find my own parking space after the main car park doesn't let you in if you haven't pre-cooked. Rubbish trip, never again, one star. Okay, how about, how about the tallest peak in the British Isles, Ben Nevis, uh, standing at 1,345 metres. For comparison, Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth, is about six and a half times higher than Ben Nevis, so it's not exactly huge. After going up Mount Snowdon by train, I'd forgotten just how high some mountains can get. And they don't come much higher than this one, that's for sure. Lol. This was almost a full day's climbing, and my girlfriend was crying at one point. When we did get to the top, there was nothing there. Mount Snowden's got a pub, a restaurant, and toilets. The climb basically went on far too long, and the last part was particularly steep and difficult. It was also cloudy at the top, so the view was non-existent. The long walk back down was boring, and again took too long. This attraction is free, but I honestly couldn't imagine anyone, and I mean anyone, paying to climb here. One star. So there you go. There's some uh, 
wonderful mountains in the British Isles, which I recommend that you visit. But today, nice segue into the Psalms. Today we are talking about Psalms. My, my topic is mountain rescue, and we're looking at Psalms 121. But before I get specifically into Psalm 121, I want to give some context for the Psalms themselves. Most of you will know that the book of Psalms is a book of song lyrics, right? They were written as songs originally. Um, so uh, they were written in response to the events in people's lives. So like King David authored a lot of them, and he wrote them in response to the things that were going on. So they're very personal, very honest. But also, once they were written down and collected, the whole community of Israel used to use them in worship to God. So they're both individual and corporate. They're... Um, there are a load of honest spiritual responses to God, but they celebrate the work of God in and through history. So that's the whole of the Psalms. But Psalms 120 to 134 are 15 Psalms collected together, and they're called in Hebrew the Sheer Hammer Alot, which means songs of ascent. And this is because of how they were used by the Israelites at that time. So bear with me a little bit. Back in Exodus 23 and 34, after God brought all the Israelites out of Egypt and they were wandering the desert, you know that he gave them a whole load of laws to live by. And he said this, Three times a year you're to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For that month you came out of Egypt. Now, we know that is called the festival of Passover. It happens in spring, um, just before Easter, and it's the same feast that Jesus later ate with his disciples before he was crucified. So that's Passover. So they were to gather for Passover. Then celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops that you sow in the field. That's called the festival of Pentecost in the summer, which we now celebrate as the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. Okay, so we've got Pentecost, uh, um, we've got uh, Passover, and then celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. That's called the festival of Sukkot or the festival of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and that happens in the autumn at the end of the harvest. So there was these three festivals the Israelites were commanded to commemorate together. They were to come together and worship God. So when King David established the city of Jerusalem on the top of Mount Zion, that became the holy city, and it was the location for the festivals, and later the temple was built under King Solomon. So that became the location that people had to go to for these three festivals that God commanded them to go. Um, now, I don't know if you know the ancient city of Jerusalem. Are you still with me, by the way? Yeah, okay, good, right. The ancient city of Jerusalem is the highest point in the region. It's an elevation of 600, uh, sorry, 760 metres, so not as high as Ben Nevis. Uh, 760 metres, and all the surrounding area is very rocky terrain. There's ups and downs, there's hills and there's valleys, but Jerusalem is on the highest point at that plateau. So what it meant was all of the Israelites, three times a year, would gather together in their towns and their villages, and they would make that journey up the mountain to Mount Zion to celebrate the festival in Jerusalem. Okay, That is why these 15 psalms collected from 120 to 134 are called Songs of Ascent, because the people would sing them on their journey up to Jerusalem. With me? Okay, good. Um, the Songs of Ascent have other names. They've been called different things in the past, and I love these. Songs to take you higher. Gradual Psalms. You can imagine that, can't you, as you're going up the slope? Gradual Psalms. Songs of the stairway. Songs of degrees. 
songs for going up to worship, very literal that one, or even pilgrim songs. So as the people walked up the mountains to the city, they would sing these 15 psalms. And some scholars believe they would sing them in order. So from 120 through to 134, the people would sing this, probably with not many instruments or hardly any instruments at all. And they would sing these out loud as they gathered on their journey. Isn't that great? Okay. Now, Easton's Bible Dictionary says about this collection of psalms, these songs of ascent, they are characterised by brevity, by a key word, and by repetition. More than half of them are cheerful. All of them are hopeful. So basically, these 15 psalms are simple, hopeful songs to sing on your journey. Remember that. As we go into Psalm 121, I want you to remember that. It is a song, it is a simple, beautiful, hopeful song for you to remember as you go on your journey. Okay, so let's read it together. We'll put it up on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV version. Um, you can read other translations if you want. Here we go. Okay, Psalm 121. It's only eight verses long. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. It's simple, it's short, it is hopeful. It's comforting, it's uplifting. And it was both literal for those pilgrims leading up the mountain to Jerusalem uh, in, in those times, and it's also figurative for us representing our journey of faith. It lets us know that God will look after us. He will keep us from harm. But it does also make clear that there are dangers on the road. Your foot may stumble. The sun could harm you or the moon could hurt you. And of course, there are many other dangers as well. Later on, when Jesus was walking the earth and teaching, he gave a brilliant illustration called the Good Samaritan. We know this story well. It's in our popular imaginations. But he starts it off in Luke 10. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a downhill journey. It's the same road that those pilgrims were walking up singing those songs. But this time, this man was going down. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So there are dangers on this journey. Dangers for the pilgrims then, dangers for us now. Perhaps our dangers are less about physical assault and sunstroke, and perhaps, perhaps more things like hunger, finances, our environment, disease or sickness, emotional and relational challenges. But they're just as real, our challenges. There are no end of problems to trip us up on our journey and distract us from going up the mountain. It's clear that we need help. And help is readily available in many forms. So another bit of context. During the time this psalm was written and sung by the Israelites, Israel was overrun with pagan worship. You see it all through the Old Testament. Um, 
about all these shrines and Asherah poles, and um, the Bible called them high places quite a lot. When you read through books like Kings and Chronicles, um, the reign of each king, at the end of their reign, it's often summarised by a little phrase like this, um, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. That's uh, 2 Kings 12. Most of the kings of Israel are judged by their, their actions during their life. And it's summarised in this phrase, whether they, removed, they were good or bad, and whether they removed the high places. These high places um, are shrines for worshipping other gods and deities. Groves of trees were planted for worship. Sacred prostitutes were provided, both male and female. The people would engage in acts to enhance the fertility of the land, to make them feel good, and to protect them from evil. Eugene Peterson, the writer of the message, wrote this. He said, There were nostrums, protections, spells and enchantments against all the perils of the road. Do you fear the sun's heat? Go to the sun priest and pay for protection against the sun god. Are you fearful for the malign influence of moonlight? Go to the moon priestess, buy an amulet. Are you haunted by the demons that can use any pebble under your foot to trip you up? Go to the shrine and learn a new magic formula to ward off that mischief. This is the kind of thing a Hebrew set out on the way of faith 2,500 years ago would have seen on the hills. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? From those shrines, from those amulets, from those spells and enchantments. There was temptation all the way. There was help at hand, but not the help people needed. I wonder what our help is like today. We're surrounded by, maybe not shrines, but we're surrounded by self-help gurus and consultants and experts and advertising and products that can solve any problems to give you money, power, prestige and wealth. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from buying the latest product that's promoted by a, a public figure that I like. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Well, my help comes from my career. I'm successful and capable, self-sufficient, can look after myself. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from my family and my friends. We have fun. They look after me and they make me feel better about myself. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Well, my help comes from medical professionals, advice and prescriptions that fix my anxieties and illnesses. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from my pension, my retirement fund and my shares portfolio, which allows me to live a comfortable life in my old age. There is nothing, let me be clear about this, there is nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. God provides them for us and they are great, particularly medical care. So I am not saying those are not good things. But are they where you put your trust? When you're in trouble and you lift your eyes up, do you look to those other things instead of God, the maker of heavens and earth? You see, they are like our shrines on the mountain side for today. The, um, the Protestant reformer, John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, wrote, Psalm 21 is for, 121 is for those of us who, disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around them, and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to their troubles. 
But Psalm 121 puts us straight. My help comes from none of those other things. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is my mountain rescue. God does not slumber or sleep like those other drunken gods. He's alert and ready for your SOS call. He doesn't leave you exposed on the mountainside. God will provide you shade from the heat of the sun and protection from the cold night like an emergency foil blanket. But doesn't it also say in that psalm, that very psalm, the Lord will keep you from harm. Now, let's be real here. I don't know about you. I have had harm in my life, right? Give me a wave just for a second if there have been bad stuff that has happened to you. Okay, so is this psalm wrong when it says the Lord will keep you from all harm? No, No, it does not. Firstly, the song presumes that the reader or the person singing it is one of God's people, originally meaning in the Israelite clan, but now including anyone who has a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That is us, okay? So the song song is for us, and it's a conditional promise for all the people of God that he will not harm us. He will keep us from harm. But even for believers, that doesn't mean we have an easy life. Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's Luke 9, 23. That doesn't sound easy. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray for deliverance from evil, which implies that there will be evil trying to get at us. 2 Timothy 3 says, in fact, anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let's be clear, the road of faith up that mountain is not easy. There is tough stuff happening. I know many of you in this room today are experiencing difficulties. Life is hard. So the promise of Psalm 121 is not that you will never experience hardship. It's that the Lord will keep you from harm. It's not that we shall never face problems. It's that no injury, no illness, no accident or emergency will have an evil power over us and be able to separate us from the purposes of God in us. Okay? It's not that we won't experience harm. It's just they have no power over us to separate us from God. I love how Paul puts this in Romans. I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, good. I'm glad you applauded that bit because because that is so true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So where does this psalm leave us? Okay, it's a great psalm, but it does mean that bad stuff happens. Bad stuff happens to good people, but God is with us and promises to be our help. Okay, God is with us and promises to be our help. Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
We need to remind ourselves of that every single day. So we're going to read this psalm together. Again, I'd like you to stand up, please. Okay. I know many of you will be experiencing suffering right now. I know many of you have got all kinds of things going on in your life. But I want to remind you of what this psalm says. This is good news. No matter what is going on, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is with you. He is for you. He will protect you and keep you from harm. Okay? Some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need to know that beyond your circumstances, there is a God who is loving and cares and has you in the palm of his hands. Okay? So we're going to read it together. I just want to... um, I want to give you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor and theologian who was uh, caught in a Nazi concentration camp and sadly passed away there. But he wrote many, many wonderful, inspiring things around discipleship. And he said this, It will always be true that the wisest course for the disciple is to always abide solely by the word of God in its simplicity. Let me read that again. It will always be true. The wisest course for the disciple, that's you and I, is to abide solely by the word of God in its simplicity. This psalm is a simple psalm. It's eight verses. It's easy to remember. Let's abide by this in its simplicity. I challenge all of you to learn this psalm by heart. These eight verses, learn them. Read them this week. Go home today, memorise them and recite them to yourself on your journey of faith day in, day out to remind you that your help comes from the Lord. Okay, let's read it together and then we'll pray. Here we go. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for these songs in the Psalms that we can memorize and sing together to remind us of your goodness and what is true. And we pray for this church, for anyone who is suffering and hurt and going through bad times, that this Psalm will remind them of your goodness. We pray for people going through joyous and fun times, that this Psalm will remind them of your goodness. And we pray that your Holy Spirit works in us today to help us remember who you are. Amen.